Welcome to the Bridges Podcast, a platform for bettering LDS interfaith relationships. I'm your host, Taylor Niebergall. When it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, having a faith crisis can sometimes create a rift in relationships between those who leave and those who stay. The goal of this podcast is to equip listeners on either side of that rift with the tools that they need to start building bridges, crossing chasms, and ultimately, healing relationships through mutual respect and understanding. Each episode will feature bold perspectives as we explore topics that can create these rifts, validate the struggles that they pose, and discuss tools you can use to literally bridge the gap. Let's get to building! Hello to Amanda! Thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. First of all, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Me too. And I'm so excited to have you. Just background for our listeners. Amanda and I met through marriage (laughs) and we have cousins in common. You know, a cousin is the cousin of my husband. So Amanda, Amanda and I have husbands who are cousins. Is that accurate to say, husband? I think that makes sense. So Amanda is amazing and has put a ton of time into helping me discuss our very first podcast topic today. And I am so grateful to have you on, Amanda. And just so our listeners have a little background, can you tell us a bit about your faith transition slash journey? Sure. So I grew up in the Salt Lake Valley and I was born into the church and kind of lived the basic, typical, I guess you could say, um, upbringing of an, an LDS member. And I, you know, was baptized at eight. I was a very active participant in uh, my callings in church as young women's, all the, all the things (laughs) I served in, you know, multiple presidencies and I was on seminary council and attended Institute and was just a really, as they call a TBM, a true believing Mormon. And, um, fairly soon after I got married, I started having, I guess you could say some concerns with church culture and I, it didn't really affect any of my doctrinal beliefs and just was kind of trying to navigate how I could still uh, be like the best member that I could be while trying to navigate the things that uh, were difficult in church culture. And that's kind of where it all started. Anyways, long story short, my faith transition or faith crisis, I would call it lasted about 10 years. And earlier this year, my husband and I together both decided to step away from the church. So that's kind of a very basic background. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your basic background. I'm sure there's a lot more depth that we're going to uncover as we go. Yeah, you're welcome. So Amanda, you have told me that the terminology that you're most used to hearing in the position that you hold to the church now is ExMO. Is that accurate for today's purposes? Yeah, you know, 
I actually think I've decided to go with post-Mormon. We'll just, we'll stick okay. with Okay. Post-Mormon. Awesome. Everybody is different. So I just want to clarify with you before we dive in. Thank you. So today is a really awesome topic. We're going to be discussing our perceptions, our perspectives, and we're going to talk a lot about us versus them mentality. And to begin, we want to start by explaining a commonly misunderstood difference between perceptions and perspectives. And Amanda is so awesome. She's been spending a lot of time prepping for this podcast episode, and I'm going to give her the reins to tell us a little bit how we can tell the difference between our perceptions and our perspectives in terms of definitions. So take it away, Amanda. Okay, so I can't claim these uh, explanations. I, a lot of this is what I was reading about to help myself further understand online. Um, but I guess that a lot of the times when we refer to perspective, we are actually meaning perception. And so people will say, well, like from my perspective or from your perspective, but what we are actually meaning to say is our own personal perceptions. So the definition of perception is basically, it is the way that you think about or understand someone or something. So it's the way that you interpret the world around yourself based on your own observations. Um, you, when looking out and taking the information that you see, feel, and not just physically feel, but also emotionally feel, hear, taste, or touch. So basically using your senses that helps form your perceptions um, and your, your perceptions are also influenced on your own personal biases as well. Now, perspective on the other hand is when you are able to look at a different point of view or to view somebody else's perception or reality, then you gain perspective. So it's something that you have to actively try to achieve. And when you watch somebody and observe and learn about them and their perceptions, again, that's when you gain your own perspective um, about anything really. So when, when we often talk about like, oh, this is my perspective, if you're referring to yourself and what you view from your own senses or your own experiences, that is actually your perception on the world or your perception on a concept or idea. And then when you are able to listen, learn, and look at somebody else's perceptions, you gain perspective, if that makes sense. I think that that was wonderful. I could not have explained that any better. I appreciate that. And I want to reiterate how cool it is that our perceptions, at first I thought it's just our act of perceiving things by our senses, but the dictionary says, or the act of perceiving from your mind. And yeah, you were thorough about that. You described that we have our biases and everything is enfolded in our perceptions. So I had asked a lot of my friends, like, how would you define perspective? And almost all of them gave me an answer that was actually a definition of um, perspective. Did I say that right? I said, oh, they were, it was actually a definition of perception. <laughs> yes. I have to correct myself a couple of times because the words... I know what I mean, but I say the wrong word in the other words place, but thank you for correcting me, Amanda. If I slip up, please catch me. Will you do that? I will try to. It's hard because the words also sound so similar 
So that makes an increased uh, level of difficulty there. <laughs> I agree. It is it's tricky. But I um, some of the examples I, I had found was I said, okay, well, what is perspective to you? And someone said, it's the approach we have toward looking at things. And my dad even was pulling me about it so I could see him and hear him on my phone. And he took the camera and he was showing his face and he says, here's a beautiful perspective of me. But when I put it down here by my stomach, you can see my double chin. (laughs) And then he raised it up high and he said, but when I put it up high, you know, it's more flattering. Um, That is actually an example of perception, the way that you look at things using your senses. Um, It just made me chuckle because our perceptions really affect the way things seem to us. You know what I mean? Like my dad is still the same person, whether the camera angles lens was viewing him from a flattering point of view or an unflattering point of view. My dad hasn't changed, but the perception has changed everything for us. I thought that was interesting. So Let's talk a little bit about how having these different perceptions affect bridge building and why this is a good topic for our podcast. Perfect. So bridges, when I think about bridges, I'm thinking about them like what, what is the purpose of them and what do they do? And really, you know, they, they connect two different places that without the bridge being present, you know, travel, exploration, and really the love that you gain for new places when you explore them after you cross the bridge wouldn't be possible for the vast majority of people without the bridge being present. And so exploring other people's experiences and their, of their own perceptions, um, it helps us to form a perspective or a metaphorical bridge that we hadn't yet considered. So without making an effort to gain new perspectives or you know, looking at other people's perceptions, then we prevent ourselves from exploring new ideas and loving people for where they're at in their own journey. Um, So basically by being open to questioning our own perceptions, we build a bridge that makes it safe to travel between our own ideas and that of others. I absolutely love that answer. I think that's great. And um, we talk a little bit about in our opener how, you know, bridge building is all about exploring different, you know, viewpoints. And so, It is all about building perspective. So very exciting topic for today. I had also thought about perspective falsely earlier until up till about today, quite honestly, and in preparation for this episode. But to define it more accurately, I would say that our perception, I catch myself there, our perception is really unique to each individual wouldn't you agree because it Agreed. it comes you know from all of your life experiences and i always thought you know if if we could have our perception be some physical device like a pair of glasses that we could trade around and say here try on my perception and then i could try on your perception and we could see it that way that would obviously be gaining perspective right but i yeah. think that if we could do that Um, having that new perspective would be so helpful for understanding how people can choose to do things and live lives differently from how we would choose to live our life. And I honestly believe that if I could put on somebody else's metaphorical lenses, 
I would come away saying, hey, I totally understand why you made that choice based off your perception. That makes sense. I would make that choice if that's how I perceived it too. And so there needs to be this level of openness to, you know, assuming that everybody has a functioning brain and that their perceptions are valid to them as an individual. You can't change someone's perception. You can just trust that they have it for a reason. Yep. I agree. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about where our perceptions come from. All right. So, um, like I kind of mentioned earlier, the, your perceptions often come from the five senses that we have and, you know, literally how we are experiencing the world. So what we see, taste, touch, feel here, but they're also affected by our personality and how we respond to life and then how we are raised and what we were taught, which we will kind of go into more detail about in this episode, specifically things that we may be taught as members of the LDS church and then our life experiences. So nurture versus nature. Um, I think a lot of our perceptions, my personal opinion is that a lot of our perceptions probably come from more of the nurturing side, um, which is what we're exposed to. And that influences the way that we view the world around us. That's very interesting. I, I kind of saw it as our personality is how we respond to life and how we are raised is the nurture aspect, but that our life experiences are a combination of both of those things. And so I think from my personal opinion, I think both our personality and how we are raised have equal parts in that, but I'm interested to hear more about how maybe the nurture might play a bigger part and maybe it does for certain people. Um, again, I have been learning about these definitions from this amazing YouTube video. I'm going to link it in the show notes for people who want to go even deeper about perceptions versus perspectives. If you want more information on that, you can find that as well. And I really liked what you, that you brought up about the personality factor, because yeah, uh, that is, you know, a lot of our nature. A lot of the times we don't necessarily choose our personality type. It's just kind of, we come the way that we are and it can be influenced by outside, you know, by outside influences. But a lot of times there are, there are parts of our personality that aren't really, you know, changing. And so I guess in that sense, I would agree with you that, that it is also influenced by our nature. I just feel like the, what I'm contributing today tends to be more geared towards the nurture aspect, but that doesn't mean that nature doesn't play a part into our perceptions. Absolutely. And that's phenomenal that you have a lot to share about the nurture aspect. And I'm excited to learn more about those experiences from your point of view. So now we're going to talk about how you know, we kind of know these are where our perceptions can come from, but how do we develop perspectives? Because, you know, perception is like the defaults. We're automatically developing perceptions all the time, but perspectives, they take a little more effort to develop. So do you want to talk a little bit towards that? Sure. So like we talked about with perception, it's, you know, kind of this subconscious uh, we're not actively choosing to view things certain way. It's just kind of like our natural response to a stimuli or to an experience. That's our perception. Um, on the contrary, pers- perspectives we're in control of. And so we can choose to accept or reject uh, different perceptions into our lens. So when we 
listen to somebody else's perception, we have the choice on whether or not we want to choose to believe or choose to accept that as a possible reality. And part of that is that we need to be accountable and we can't blame our perceptions on how we were raised. And we have to be able to, well, we don't have to, but I think it is beneficial uh, for growth to be able to look at other people's perceptions, to uh, alter uh, and gain perspective for ourselves and not just say, well, this is just the way it is because that's what I was taught. And that must mean that it's true. But being able to kind of question our own thoughts and our own perceptions and be willing to kind of sit in an uncomfortable space and ask ourselves, you know, why do I view things this way? Why do I think that this is right? Or why do I think, and that doesn't mean that it's not necessarily right for you, but being able to sit in that uncomfortable space, I think allows for growth and allows you to widen your perceptions and gain perspective of something that you haven't really thought about before. I absolutely love that. And I love how, you know, with the Bridges podcast, I really emphasize on the fact that when you do attempt to gain perspective, it will ultimately lead to you having a better outlook on life. You'll be a little bit more settled and there will be more peace in gaining perspectives. And I think a lot of time people are afraid to explore new perspectives. They're a little bit hesitant. I think for one of those reasons might be the fact that it does take effort on our part and it does take vulnerability to say, hey, maybe I was maybe I was a little bit lacking in information in this matter. And, you know, we all have a lot of pride as human beings. And that is kind of also a default to the natural man, as I would like to refer. Um, from my perception, I would call that the natural man, that we all have pride and we have to fight it a lot. And so I think that's kind of a big uh, hurdle in gaining perspective. But um, I was just gonna say, we have to look past our pride to admit, I might not have it all. I might need a little bit to learn from somebody else. Yeah, I think I, I think a big thing in, maybe the fear that people have about viewing other people's perceptions or listening to somebody else's experiences is they think that if I am to, as you put it, you know, let down my pride and listen to somebody else's perception, that that means that I have to agree with them, or that then means that I have to change the way that I'm living or that I have to change my own perception on how I view that certain topic. And I I don't agree with that. I think that there's space for us to listen to other people's perceptions, gain perspective on why they think and feel and respond in a certain way, and still be able to keep our own perception the way that it was before we had that conversation. And sometimes it may change. Our perceptions may change as we gain perspective. But that doesn't mean it always has to. And I think that's something that people may be fearful of is if I offer, you know, understanding or love or, you know, unbiased opinion to these people that that then means that I now have to like accept everything about them and the way that they view things. And I don't, I don't really think that's true, but I do think it helps foster more understanding from the people like you mentioned with the lens, you know, example that if we're able to view things from the way the way other people do, it helps us build better relationships. Oh, Amanda, you can't see me, but I am grinning from ear to ear over here. This is why you are 
a dynamite gold person to have on the podcast because this is exactly what I'm shooting for to be the message across across my listeners' perceptions that we don't have to change our perceptions to become bridge builders. We simply have to gain perspectives. Right. So and that's with, awesome. With that, I do want to add the caveat that there are times when you listen to other people's perceptions that your perceptions may change. And that is perfectly okay too. I just wanted to make a point that your perceptions don't have to change in order to gain perspective and to be a more open-minded, loving person. It can, but it doesn't have to. Absolutely. I personally hope that our perceptions are always changing a little bit because that means we're, you know, critically thinking, we're taking in the perspectives with more than a grain of salt. We're really evaluating them. But if they don't, like you said, that might be comforting for some listeners to to hear because then they're like, okay, maybe I can go listen to this person and I don't have to be afraid that they're going to change me. Um, But I do personally hope that our perceptions are always, you know, growing or moving in some direction that is beneficial and expanding our own, our own minds. So, so I think we need to talk a little bit about unconscious biases and how that is, such a big, a big factor in our perceptions, especially within the culture of the church that we have been talking a little bit about. And then I'm sure you've been experiencing a lot and have a lot to share about, but I want to give a brief example. I just love seeing examples of people who I would, you know, on the surface be like, oh, this person is not a member of the church. This person's got all these piercings. This person has a tattoo or this person is smoking, you know, those things that are just very surface, they seem to pop out a lot because you see them right away. I love seeing those kinds of people help me realize that I had a perception about them by being an absolutely phenomenal human being, because then I'm like, oh, holy crap, that just shuts me down. (laughs) Was I judging them unconsciously? And I know like my mother and my father did a great job raising me to to say, you know, like that doesn't make them any less a person, you know, they're just as awesome. You know, there's people that could be an RM that are totally horrible people. And there's people that have never heard of the church that are a lot better person than you are. So like, I hear that growing up, but I'll still have these unconscious biases sneak into my mind. And so I got the opportunity to serve in a presidency where a lot of my fellow leaders had like a lot of extra piercings and I loved it because it showed me I had a perception against them that they didn't have as much to offer spiritually to the people in our program than I did, you know, or something like that. So every time I can see a person like that, show me that I had a bias in that area, I get really excited um, because I don't think our unconscious biases can come to light until someone brings them to light for us. I couldn't have pulled that example out of my mind, it has to present itself to me. So I hope that my children can grow up seeing examples of those kind of people leading in the church and being role models so that that never even becomes a bias for them. I think that kind of thing is really beautiful. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of kind of the examples that you're giving right now actually play a huge role into what we're going to be talking about in a little bit of like us versus them mentality, but Mm -hmm. just recognizing that you had this bias that it was kind of an us versus them. Like I might be a more capable or more spiritual leader than them because of 
you know, these outward things that they have tattoos or that they wear, you know, have extra piercings or different things and recognizing, why do I think that, you know, recognizing that bias, really questioning your bias. Like, do I actually think that because they have another piercing in their ear, that that makes them somehow less than me. And so I think that that just really plays a lot into what we're going to be talking about. Absolutely. And we're going to have other episodes about generalizing and making assumptions that we'll dive even further into those things. But for the most part here, I think that applies to perceptions strongly as well. So do you have any stories or examples of discovering your own biases that you could share with us, Amanda? So I I have an example and it's, it's has to do with me and it's actually kind of a reversal bias. This is Uh, something that a lot of people refer to as more of like a positive bias. Um, It's called the halo effect. And so basically it's when we perceive one great thing about a person and then we let the halo, you know, the imagination, the what is the word, the imaginative halo glow around that one thing, color our opinions of everything else about that person. So we see, you know, let's a non-religious example would be you are in a job interview and you say that you went to Harvard and the person interviewing you also went to Harvard. And it's like, oh my gosh, since you went to Harvard, that must mean that you are so capable and so amazing. And so blah, blah, blah. Even if that person really didn't do that well at Harvard or Mm -hmm. does that make sense? It's kind of like you take one thing from that person and you let it go. And that's something that um, I've experienced a lot and that I have heard a lot of examples examples about that happens with members of the church and so a personal example that I have is I was in a job interview one time and you know we were talking about qualifications and the interviewer somehow it got brought up they asked if I was a member if I was an LDS person and I felt a little odd about the question but I answered yes And they basically gave me the job on the spot. And that is a bias that that person had with the halo effect Mm -hmm. that they didn't really hear that much about me, but simply based off of the fact that I was LDS, it automatically meant I was a good, automatically meant I was the most qualified person to them, even though my religion, my religion didn't have anything to do with the job position. So I just think that, you know, being more aware of our biases and how that can affect people. And for me, like it affected me in a good way. Right. But that was maybe an unfair bias against the other applicants because they didn't really stand a chance and they may have been better qualified for the position than I was. Absolutely. That is an unfortunate example. And I think it happens all the time. Yeah, I agree. I I do think it happens all the time. Um, I think there's so much value in just being so transparent. And I have um, an example of me being transparent with my perceptions. And we're not always good at this because when we have an unconscious bias, obviously we're not aware of it. So we can't talk through our unconscious biases as well. But the things that we are aware of and do perceive, I think transparency helps in these sort of conversations. And so I'm going to share an example of when I was dating my husband, Jeff, we, um, we were in college and I texted him one night. We had been on a couple of dates and things were going really well for us. And we just were um, falling into a good jive quickly and kind of taking off in a, 
very easy way that seemed very natural very quickly. So I texted him one night and said, hey, I need to talk with you, <laughs> which um, is always not the nicest way to alert somebody to the fact that you want to have a discussion because he automatically got a little bit scared. But that wasn't the point. I, I just said, I need to have a talk with you. Let's go on a walk. And on this walk, I said, Jeff, I recognize that you can't read my mind and I want to give you a little bit of insight into what I'm thinking. I'm thinking a lot about how spending time with you has been really wonderful for me. And I just want you to know that I really like you and I hope that this goes somewhere and you don't have to agree or respond. But if I just keep this to myself, there might not be um, a very clear way for you to understand that. So I just wanted to let you know that's what's going on inside my mind because you can't read my mind. And Jeff was just kind of taken aback and really surprised at my ability to be vulnerable and transparent. And he's like, yeah, I agree. And, and I a like very good communicator. Yeah, and a good communicator, which is funny because I <laughs> Jeff is a wonderful person, but communication is not his strongest point. So that probably did floor him a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I... I think it is just valuable to say, hey, this is what's going on inside my mind because people can't read our minds, you know? It's true. It's it's important. I think a lot of times we make assumptions that because I know what I'm thinking that they must know, or, you know, I feel like people are notorious for dropping hints instead mm -hmm. of just saying what they mean and, Absolutely. and saying how they feel, which would make things a lot easier to then, you know, trying to interpret hints. Yeah. And I think within interfaith relationships, there's a lot of assumptions that I already know what's going on in your mind because I imagined that it would be this because of a previous experience I've had where every single person is a new person and you don't know what's going on in their mind. That is so true. There are plenty of examples I'm going to give later that discuss exactly that, that there are things that I perceive to be a certain way, or I assume other people are thinking based off of experiences I had growing up, but we need to be able to give every individual the benefit of the doubt that they, they're not going to respond the way we think they are and being able to communicate with them and say, I have a fear of telling you this, or I'm, I'm nervous to have this discussion with you because based off of these experiences, I fear that you're going to respond this way. And being able to explain that to somebody, I think opens the door for them to one, recognize their own unconscious bias and think, man, I actually probably would have responded that way. But now that I know that they are, you know, nervous about this or whatever, maybe I can be more cautious in my response or they can say, oh my gosh, I never, I wouldn't have even thought to respond that way. And you can kind of clear the air before you actually get into your, you know, vulnerable conversation by just expressing yes. your fears. Yes, you did such a good job at, you know, pretending that you were having that conversation just now and laying out a really good example of how that groundwork could look going into a conversation that I just am clapping for you over here. It's wonderful, wonderful example. Okay. So back to the way that our perceptions can prevent us from seeing what another person is trying to bring to the table is the the Hindu fable of the six men and the elephant. And Amanda, you're telling me you're not familiar with what this is, right? Correct. Okay. Well, I'm going to then 
instead of summarizing, I'm just going to read the little poem. I have it pulled up and it's very short and I think it's just dynamite for today. So it was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl, God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second feeling of the tusk cried, ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp? To me, tis mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. And so it kind of goes on and on. The, the third one touches the trunk and says it's like a snake. And the fourth one touches the ear and says it's like a blanket, you know, and the they go on and on. And so they each come away using their perceptions and their life experiences, draw these conclusions. And so this is how it kind of ends up. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. So oft in theologic wars, the disputants I ween rail on utter ignorance of what each other mean and prat about an elephant not one of them has seen. And so I think... Does that sound familiar to you now? Have you heard that before? I actually have never heard that, but it was really beautiful. Yeah, I love it a lot. And I did condense it a little bit for time's sake, but I'll link it in the show notes too. I think that a really important takeaway from that is recognizing how you can be right about something. And just because somebody else is saying, no, this is what an elephant is, it doesn't make them wrong. Correct. I, I agree. I think that there's so many different points of view that, you know, no one of us has the full picture of anything in life. And so we're all, you know, just looking at things through our lenses and our own um, experiences. And that's helping us draw the conclusions that we come to. Absolutely. And it can be so broadly applied to every single aspect of our lives. Like if we live in an urban place versus a suburban place or what political side we see the most value in, it's all right. According to how we've perceived things, Mm -hmm. it's right. And it's different. So it's so interesting, don't you think? Absolutely. I think, you know, we touched on this a little bit later too, but the ability for us to come up with our own truth and our our own um, viewpoints on what we believe will make us the most happy, just that that looks different for every, every individual. Absolutely. And it's just, I find it to be fascinating. Um, and here's a question. It's a hypothetical question. I'll put it out to you to answer however you'd like, but do you think from listening to that poem and having this discussion, do you think it is bad to believe that you are right about something. So is this question for me or is this question for the listeners? It's, it's for the listeners, but I'm going to let you decipher it and they can think along with you. Okay. So I think that at some point in each of our lives, there's going to be a time or two or a lot that we think that we're right about something. And 
for me, I don't find a lot of harm in thinking that you have like arrived at a conclusion that fits well for you in your life. The, the problem I find when somebody thinks they're right is when it is then projected onto other people that Mm. because this is right for me, that must mean that it is also right for you. And I think that we each have the power and ability to decipher what we view as right and true in our own lives, but that doesn't necessarily mean that other people need to feel the same way and come to the same conclusion. Absolutely. And that's what leads to a lot of contention and can be a hindrance in our bridge building is when you feel so strongly that you're right, because your life experiences have told you over and over again that you are, that there's no way that this other person can't see it the way you see it, you know, and in reality, that might not be able to be possible for that other person that might not be possible at all. So when we put that expectation out there, and they don't accept it, then you might just lose your ability to like, well, if it's right, then why isn't it right for you? You know, it can just lead to a whole bunch of confusion and angst. So I think it's really important not to project it's right to me. So it's right to you. Yep. For sure. I also, when I was thinking about this question, I decided to myself a very similar answer that I'm okay with arriving with a conclusion. I think it's important to be firm with your convictions. um, But there are two things I'm not okay with. I'm not okay with thinking because I'm right about this that I couldn't learn more about it or become more right about it by hearing somebody else's perception on the topic. I'm not okay to thinking I've, I've arrived, I'm right about this, so therefore I cannot learn anymore. I'm not okay with that. And I'm also not okay with, um, I'm right about this, so therefore you are wrong about this because it's not the same. And they're kind of, that kind of is the same thing. And I think it goes along also with what you're saying. It, I'm not okay with people saying, I'm right about this. And so therefore you need to accept that it's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So then we move on to some questions I had for you in my outline, which I think is where we're going to get into the meat of a lot of your personal experiences. So tell us what are some ways your perceptions and your perspectives have changed about the church? Um. So I think that to explain how my perceptions have changed, I just need to kind of reiterate that what my perceptions once were. So as I kind of talked about in my introduction, uh, I was a very orthodox member who believed all the things. Uh, As somebody who lost uh, close family members at a really young age, I really clung to the plan of salvation deeply. And I wanted to be the absolute best person I could be in order to return, you know, to the celestial kingdom with my family. So I honestly believed everything I learned in church. I, it just, it was the one and only true church. That's what I learned. And, you know, it was the restored gospel and there was no fault. And that's just kind of was my perception. And so my perceptions have really continued to change over time during the decade, you know, that I was kind of in my faith crisis and they're continue like they, there's still room for them to continue to change. Right. But the first experience I really remember about being open to the possibility that I didn't have the knowledge I thought I did was when I was in college. So I was reading an article and I think it was like a study that I don't, there was, I don't know, it wasn't his thesis, but it was some sort of study that this LDS man did as part of his master's program. 
And during this study, he interviewed lots of people from different faiths. And as part of it, he had each of them bear their testimony of the truthfulness of their beliefs. And each one of them did so with such passion and fervor. They just, you could, you know, he was explaining this. I didn't actually hear the testimonies, but he's explaining that he listened to each of them and was just astounded by, you know, the, the belief that he could feel from each one of these people. And he could just tell that each of them truly believed that they knew the truth. And so, um, it was while reading this that I realized like the way he was describing these people's testimonies is how I would have described my own testimony at the time. And it really made me start to question like what made my testimony any more correct than these other people's. And who was I to believe that my spiritual witnesses were more accurate than that of the other people in the study and, or just, you know, other people in other religions in general. And, you know, when I thought about it more, I, I really realized like, I didn't believe that I was better than any of these other people. So why would I be given this privilege of having, you know, a quote unquote, more true spiritual witness than they had received. And kind of through this thinking, I realized that maybe truth was flexible and, Mm. you know, individual. And so that's kind of how my perceptions have changed, I guess. Okay. Like, you know, while I don't believe much of the LDS doctrine per se anymore, I believe that there are some good principles and values taught. I still believe that the sense of community that people can obtain, you know, by being members is a great benefit that the LDS church offers but I no longer perceive it to be God's quote unquote, one true church. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. I, most of the people that I asked that question come away um, feeling similar. I don't know if you find that to be validating or that makes you feel less of an individual, but um, that's something I hear a lot from people I have this discussion with. So take that for what you will. (laughs) Um, And uh, to go along with that question, how do you feel that others' perceptions or perspectives of you, mostly their perceptions, how do you feel others' perceptions of you have changed? But maybe you've noticed people are gaining new perspective as well. So what have you noticed in that area? So I perceive (laughs) that others perceive that (laughs) I have my credibility amongst some of them. I actually, for this reason, I stayed in the church for a long time because I really wanted to make a difference, like from the inside out. And I delayed removing myself from the church in order to kind of keep that credibility. I feared that once I left, I'd be viewed as, you know, an apostate and that my opinion would no longer be valued um, Mm -hmm. or that it wouldn't be valid or trusted. And so I don't believe that everybody's perceptions have changed in this way, but just kind of in general, that's, you know, a fear that I have when meeting new people that, you know, if they find out I'm not a member or I was raised a member that there's going to be some either unconscious bias or a little bit of like an us versus them mentality that I'm not as valuable as I once was. Yeah, I'm, that's so difficult. I bet that's been a wrestle and a heartbreak. Am I right to say that you've struggled learning that people might feel that way about you? Yeah, I mean, I think that honestly, that was a huge reason why it took so long um, to kind of make that decision that leaving the church was what was right for me individually and for my family as well. I just feel 
sad about that, that you feel like they don't give you credibility anymore. Um, and I think, again, noticing all the unconscious biases, you know, if you were to go back and have that interview today, you wouldn't be getting the job on the spot, you know, just and feeling it yeah. from that side where it affects you so negatively, it just, it hurts a lot more. And I'm so sorry you've endured that hurt. Well, I appreciate that. That means a lot. Yeah, I think that that's sad. So how could church members give post-Mormons more credibility? What do you think would have to change within their perceptions in order for them to achieve that? I think yeah. that they have to gain perspective. <laughs> what yeah, do you think? Definitely. I think, you know, kind of a beginning point is that everybody on both ends, um, current members and post members or never members, whatever it is, I think everybody just needs to give those around them more grace. So I think the dialogue around why, like specifically why people go through faith transitions needs to change. And this is something you and I were talking about, you know, too often. I remember being taught in church that people who leave the church have, you know, fallen or they've gone astray, you know, that they wanted to sin or that they were just offended. And that's why they left. And I heard teachers and leaders and testimonies of people talking about the quote unquote lost and how they could just possibly, they could not possibly be happy anymore. And this dialogue is hurtful. And more often than not, it's just untrue. And so I think that if members could recognize like the pain and confusion that one goes through while navigating a faith crisis, I think that would help shift the narrative. And um, I think something that's important to recognize is that faith transitions often take an extended period of time to navigate. And even once a decision has been made to leave, like we have, uh, the processing can take years. So I read something one time and it said that it's estimated that it takes one year per decade that you were in a high demand religion in order to heal and process the transition. So for me, mm. I was in the church for almost 30 years. So that would mean, you know, it's likely going to take three years to process, even after I've made the decision to step away to process kind of that experience. And I think if people recognize the pain that people go through, there would be a lot more empathy and recognizing that people in transition are often studying a lot more. Like for me personally, I studied way more in my transition period, you know, doctrine and things like that than I ever did beforehand. And so using terms like lazy learners is really harmful and mm -hmm. hurtful. Um, sorry, this is kind of long, but no, I, also, I feel like members can give post members more credibility by believing their experiences and trusting them as individuals that they have sought after truth. And so by believing people when they say they're happy and being open-minded to hear about their experiences, I think that helps them gain perspective and it helps maintain people's credibility. Um, so, yeah. That's <laughs> wonderful. That's such important information for our listeners to hear, I think. And I really appreciate that you can share that. Thanks for being vulnerable. And thank you for just discussing that and putting it so eloquently, by the way, you've got a good way with words, Amanda. So kudos to you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, yeah, I really, I, I don't think I can say that any better. So I'm not going to try, but um, just listening from my, from my perception of being a true believing member, a thought resonated strongly with me that when members are 
discrediting post members in that way, that that's very unchristlike. And I want to be Christ-like as a true believing member. And I, I believe that the Christ-like thing to do would be to give that credibility, to listen, to show love first. You know, I think that that, that all those things just came into my mind as I listened to you and they might apply more towards um, our listeners that might be true believing members. That's just uh, a little insight that I got listening to you that, gee, being treated like that sure isn't coming from a Christ-like place. And I sure wouldn't want to be found treating a post member in that way when I go to the judgment bar someday and have to account for causing that harm. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. something that came to my mind. Yeah, I think that's beautiful, you know, and, and when we are responding to people again, asking ourselves, why, why am I responding this way? And, you know, going back to the golden rule, like what I want to be treated this way and what I want, and, you know, even maybe taking it one step further and what I want my children to be treated this way. Yes. And if the answer is no, like we probably should reevaluate how we're treating other people. Yes. And another thought towards like the the listeners that are true believing members, such as myself, I have the advice of, are you being like a Pharisee or are you being like Jesus? When in doubt, be like Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think a lot of those, um, those biases, those lack of credibilities are often something that we can reflect by studying how Pharisees would treat people that would be caught, you know, doing something considerably bad, you know, for the laws of the time and they would freak out and they'd be very judgmental. So I would just say, when in doubt, look at yourself and saying, am I being a Pharisee or am I being like Jesus? When in doubt, be like Jesus people. Agreed. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. So, um, that kind of goes back to our, our pride that we have. I think that if you're focused on really listening and loving that humility is what's going to help get you there. If you're focused on making a point, pride is what's driving that. So just be aware of that when you're having those bridge building experiences with other people. Um, Where are you coming from? Is humility driving you or is pride driving you? I think that that can take us really far on the, the course that we want to be taking. So just be aware and thoughtful about that in your real life experiences. And can I say something? Yes, please go ahead. Something I just thought of when you were talking about that is there's some quote that I will probably not do it justice, but it says something to the effect of, you know, when you are listening to somebody, are you listening to respond or are you listening to understand? And I think that that is a huge thing in, you know, having communications between members and post members or just really honestly anybody in general that someone is explaining their situation and their experience are we sitting there trying to formulate a response or a rebuttal or are we actually trying to understand where they're coming from and I think that that makes a big difference in our approach and people feel it you know people feel like if you are just trying to rebuttal them or prove them wrong or you know invalidate their experiences Oh, absolutely. And, you know, real life moment. I know I'm guilty of that. Have you ever done that? I think we've all done that. I, I would, I confidently say that everybody is guilty of that at times. (laughs) Yes. So we're all hopefully doing a little bit better each time we have the opportunity to be a little bit better, Mm -hmm. but I hope.
Hey listeners, did that sound like it was a bit of an abrupt ending? That's because it was. Stay tuned for our next episode, part two, where Amanda and I continue the discussion with perceptions and perspective, but we're also going to dive into us versus them mentality. It's going to be really awesome. And now it's time for takeaways and tidbits with Taylor. Here are some of my tidbits. If you're not using the word cousins in your normal lexicon, you're missing out because it's a cool word to use. Second point, a little bit more serious now. Being right does not make different opinions wrong. I could say that all day. Next tidbit, perceptions and perspectives are different. Perception is what is based on your own observations, and perspective is what you gain by viewing something from the outside or looking at it a new way. Gaining perspective does not equate to us having to change our perceptions. Don't confuse being willing to understand something with being willing to believe it and live it. Those are my tidbits for today. And my takeaways, I'm just going to rant, riff a little bit. Here's some of my takeaways, and they're not as valuable to anybody but me. So please do your own takeaways. My takeaways are that by being open to questioning our own perceptions, we build a bridge that makes it safe for us to travel between our own ideas and that of others. That's a direct quote from Amanda. I thought it was good enough to say it exactly how she said it. I've really loved the way she said that. Every person's perception is unique. So even if they have foundational religious beliefs in common with you, you cannot just assume that they have all the same perceptions in common with you. We're so, so human and so diverse. So don't don't just assume that because you might have one thing in common with somebody that you can totally read their mind or that you have everything in common with them. We do this a lot. It's called generalizing and it's called making assumptions. Try not to. Oh, wait, another cool takeaway is when you realize you have an unconscious bias, you don't have to be mad at yourself. Instead, you can just be grateful and just express gratitude that you're able to become conscious of it. Because if it's a conscious bias, you can start working through it. You can start addressing it. If it's an unconscious bias, you wouldn't have never known. So when you find an unconscious bias presenting itself to you, you should celebrate because now you know. Here's my biggest takeaway. Pride drives you when you're trying to make a point. Humility drives you when you are there to listen with love. Someone pointed this out to me the other day that like often a lot of people are geared to make a point rather than just sit and listen. So just think about that. Are you trying to make a point? Pride is driving that if you're trying to make a point. Can you try not to make it about making a point? That's where humility is totally driving you. So I think that's something to shoot for. Anyway, hope you enjoyed, and I just appreciate you listeners. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you for listening. Bridges is brought to you by me, Taylor Niebergall, and the hardworking volunteers who co-host with me. The music is written and recorded by Bethany Sorensen. To submit ideas, you can contact me at bridgespodcast.taylor at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page at Bridges Podcast. Thank you.